listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I'm Rachel. Today is a hymn sing with Sarah Day. Woo-hoo! I love doing these. And usually it's a whole big long list of hymns and I get to tell you which ones are my favorite. And then we get all nerdy about the hymns and the hymn writers and the history and all of that stuff. And we're going to do a little bit of that today. But this is Black History Month. And so today's going to be a little bit special. We are still going to start in the hymnal. We're going to talk about a hymn and get a little historically nerdy about it, which is awesome and what we normally do. But we're going to segue a little bit into African-American spirituals, which I am super stoked to talk about. This is really exciting. I think it's going to be a great episode. Hopefully you all learn something and then you go like listen to spirituals on YouTube for hours and hours and get them all stuck in your head because that is definitely where I've been living in the last <laughs> three days. It's a good place so, to live. I think so. But we're going to start with a popular African-American hymn, Lift Every Voice and Sing. You've probably seen lots of videos and things going around on social media about this. It is in our Lutheran service book number 964. Now, I know I posted this in the ladies' lounge, and I know this probably comes up every time we talk about this. It's in the national songs part of our hymnal. And I'm throwing in this caveat that there are a lot of opinions about whether national songs in our hymnal are appropriate for worship. There are several sides, I think, to this argument. And I'm not going to get into that because we're not here to start worship wars. (laughs) But Fourth of July is coming. We can do that then. Exactly. <laughs> Worship wars. So just know that patriotic this, songs. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. This is this is not falling on either any side of that debate on whether or not this is appropriate for worship. You all have your opinions, and that that is great. We're going to dig into this a little bit though, because there is some really interesting history to this hymn and why it's in our hymnal. So "Lift Every Voice and Sing" is thought of as the Black national anthem. James Weldon Johnson wrote the poem in 1900, and his brother J. Rosamond Johnson, who was a music teacher, wrote the music for it. They have really great stories, and I will get to that in just a minute. I love learning about these guys. So they wrote this piece for a tribute to Abraham Lincoln and the Emancipation Proclamation. James Weldon Johnson was principal at the all-black Stanton School in Jacksonville, Florida, And the 500 students at this school sang the song for the celebration of freedom. It became immensely popular by 1920 and was adopted as the official song of the NAACP around that time. And James Weldon Johnson was actually the head of the NAACP from 1920 to 1930. So he kind of like brought this along with him. And as he traveled the country, he actually would find the song pasted into the backs of hymnals and songbooks used in Sunday school. So it just like it spread like wildfire throughout the country. And that wasn't their intention when they wrote it. It was more of a we have this celebration and we need to write something for the kids to sing. So we just have to like knock this out and and get this in front of the kids. And it became this huge thing, which is so cool. It also has a lot of cultural significance because of being used as a freedom song during the civil rights movement in the 1960s. You can find lots about that on the internet. It's based on Exodus 15, 1 through 21, which is a song of Moses and Miriam about Pharaoh being drowned in the Red Sea and the Lord triumphing gloriously. And 
a hint to a future episode. This is actually one of the songs you hear in Easter Vigil. I was writing this in my notes and I, I can't write it without singing it. I will sing to the Lord for he, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. That's just a couple of verses. It's also based on Psalm 85 verses 1 through 7. And a few of those verses, restore us again, O God of our salvation, and put away your indignation toward us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your steadfast love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. So that's some of the, the textual basis for the, uh, the text of the hymn. It's included in our, in our Lutheran service book because of its significance for Black congregations. And it clearly addresses freedom, but it doesn't bring in racial hatred into the text. It's more so accepting of what has happened in the past and moving forward to a better community and healthier relationships among people of all backgrounds. In the early 20th century, I'm sure you guys know about the social gospel movement that took root in American culture, and this was right around that time. So the hymn does have themes of improving society through work. <laughs> and the last stanza is a prayer to God that he would strengthen the journey to freedom. James Weldon Johnson believed that the systems of white supremacy would eventually give way to a true system of equality among all. He had this clear understanding that people of all nationalities and cultures are equal under the cross of Christ, and that kind of comes through in this text of the hymn. So the brothers, the Johnson brothers, James <laughs> Weldon Johnson and his brother Rosamond have a really great story. James was born June 17th, 1871 in Jacksonville, Florida, just six years after the end of the Civil War. So you can kind of imagine the political, cultural, societal context that right. he was born into, that his parents had been living through at this point. J. Rosamond Johnson was born two years later on August 11th, 1873. So their parents, James and Helen Johnson, were actually a middle-class family, which was unusual for a Black family in the immediate wake of the Civil War. Their dad, James, was actually a head waiter for luxury hotels in the U.S. and Bahamas, so their family actually had a significant social standing, which is kind of a cool thing. Jacksonville also had more opportunity for African Americans than most cities in the South at this time. So they were born into a very unique context, and that allowed them to do so many things in their lives. So one of these advantages that they had was education. Both brothers actually attended Stanton School, which was one of the few schools in the U.S. for black children that extended through eighth grade. At the time, this was a fantastic school. James went on to Atlanta University Preparatory School and then Atlanta University in Georgia, where he graduated in 1894 after studying literature, rhetoric, and humanities. He was hired as principal at the Stanton School. He also saw that there were rising racial tensions in Jacksonville and devoted himself to community leadership. He started and edited the Daily American newspaper for the Black population in Jacksonville. And this guy was awesome. He taught himself law and became the first African-American admitted to Florida Bar. And that was in 1898. Wow. Super cool. Like, this guy was smart. 
Rosamond went on from the Stanton School to the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston, and he studied piano, organ, harmony, and voice. And then he went on to study privately in London. He toured the U.S. after that, performing operatic repertoire with the concert company Oriental America, and he supervised the music at the Jackson Public Schools. So this would have been the point when they would have written Lift Every Voice and Sing for the kids in the school to perform in 1900. So in 1901, both brothers decided to make a bit of a life change. Because of the increase in racial strife, James resigned from the Stanton School, and he and his brother Rosamond moved to New York City and joined vaudeville performer Robert Cole to create a songwriting group and they were immensely successful producing music for shows in New York City, which that's really cool. <laughs> James moved on from there to the Colored Republican Club, and then he entered the U.S. Consular Service and was stationed in Venezuela and Nicaragua for several years. He married Grace Snail in 1910, and then he resigned from consular service in 1913 and returned to the U.S., he took up political involvement, including the NAACP, where he served for about 14 years and as the, the person in charge for 10 of those years from 1920 to 1930. After that point, he became chair of creative literature at Fisk University in Nashville, which will come up later. And he was a leading figure in the Harlem Renaissance. He was a huge contributor to work celebrating African-American culture. He and Rosamond published a songbook, The Book of American Negro Spirituals, in 1925, and the second book of Negro Spirituals in 1926. He was the first African-American professor to be hired at New York University, and that was in 1934. Wow. His life does end tragically, though, which is really sad. He was killed in a train car crash in Maine on June 26th, 1938. Like, it was a thunderstorm, and, and his, a train ran into the car that he was driving, which is so sad. He died pretty young. Rosamond had a wonderful career in the performing arts. He was musical director of Oscar Hammerstein's London Opera House from 1912 to 1913, and became director of the Music School Settlement for Colored People in Harlem in 1914. He got an honorary MA in 1917 from Atlanta University in Georgia, and he served with the New York National Guard during World War I. He wrote over 200 songs during his life. He contributed to many Broadway productions with stage scores, and he performed in shows, several shows, uh, including Porgy and Bess. Wow. He died on November 11th, 1954 in New York. So there's a couple of connections between this hymn and these Johnson brothers and spirituals. Obviously, they wrote those two books of spirituals. And Rosamond Johnson actually wrote the tune for the spiritual, My Lord, What a Morning," which is one of my favorites. Mm. And that will segue us into a brief history of spirituals. <laughs> Can I just say before we before we leave these these guys all together, James yes. Walton Johnson, as y'all know, I'm an English major for life. And so encountering his poetry as part of the studies of the Harlem Renaissance that every English major gets to go through, and then seeing his name in the hymnal 
that it still is just so cool to me that this this poet on you know right up there with Langston Hughes and and the other voices from the Harlem Renaissance mm-hmm. it's also a deep man of faith who is giving expression to that in him lyrics I think that's just really cool and thank you for sharing his story because I did not know a lot of that and <laughs> it just makes me appreciate his poetry even more yeah, he was a super cool dude uh, and did a lot of really cool stuff. He and, and his brother both did a lot of cool stuff. So I can't give you a full history of spirituals. Otherwise, we would be here for like the next week. There is so much history behind African-American spirituals. I'm going to give you a brief overview of some of the the highlights of what you should know. I hope what you should know, at least what I think you should know. <laughs> from my research what is important and how all of this is is part of our american musical history i have several links of the things that i was reading and going through and and some really cool websites so i'll try to put those into the show notes so you guys have some resources to start out if if you're inspired by this and want to learn more about this history in america there's some really cool places one of them being the library of congress you can spend hours on the library of congress youtube channel just like listening to all of this great stuff it's fantastic so first before i tell you what my favorites are i want to know what your favorites are ladies i would like to give a special shout out to a particular writer of spirituals my favorite spiritual and this led me down a baby rabbit hole (laughs) my favorite spiritual is soon i will be done Mm-hmm. Um, I think about like the thing about Lutheran high school and college choirs is they I don't know what it is, but they they just love performing African-American spirituals, which it just it astounds me. And the thing about spirituals for me, they sound great, but they're fun to sing, too. Like they're they are. I am so glad that they are a mainstay, both of American culture and something that we as Lutherans can come to and perform and just have have fun with. So I remember performing Suna Will Be Done in high school. And as I was doing a little bit of research on the song, I learned a little bit more about the composer, William Levi Dawson, who has actually... As I as I was doing my research, he did a lot of like the spiritual standards that we think of. So Swing Low, Sweet Chariot in 1946. Ain't of that good news is another one that we sang in high school that's really good. Uh Steal Away is another there's a balm in Gilead. So he was he was writing a lot of the notable works in the early to mid 1900s. And I think the thing about his work, at least with Suna Will Be Done, it's very simple. And it's so relatable, too. Especially, I mean, I'm not going to compare the hot mess of 2020 to, like, systemic racism and America's relationship with slavery and the Civil War. I'm not even going to, and just racial inequity, because 2020 was a cakewalk compared to that. But I found Suna Will Be Done, it's a simple song, but I find myself relating to it. And if you've heard the song before, well, if you haven't heard the song before, it starts with a very simple verse. Suna Will Be Done with the Troubles of the World, I'm Going to Live with God. 
And so each verse is sort of a, a, a repetitive, I want to meet my mother. I want to meet my father. I'm going to live with God. No more weeping and a wailing. I'm going to live with God. I want to see my Jesus. I'm going to live with God. Like it's very like taking in all of your experiences. And I imagine there were, there was plenty of strife that African-Americans are dealing with, especially from the perspective of Dawson writing this song that ultimately, no matter what we've been through, we know how the story ends. And I basically I'm ready for that. So yeah, I, I find myself resonating with that a little bit. Last year was obviously kind of rough. This year is still kind of rough, but <laughs> we could be mindful that, you know, this is not the end of the story and we can, we can look forward to when Jesus comes back and restores his creation. And we know that he will do that. Amen. That was, a, a, that was way longer than you probably were asking for. <laughs> Sorry. Dawson wrote a lot of the ones that are on my favorites list. So it's cool to go down he that did, rabbit trail. He too. wrote a Negro folk symphony also just what? as an aside in 1934. And I want to listen to it. And yes. Just saying. Yes. So I might like the one that I thought of immediately that I love is were you there, which I'm familiar with it because it is in our hymnal. And I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know lots of spirituals. Maybe I wasn't in enough choirs <laughs> to have that part of my repertoire. But yeah, that's one that I love. I am curious and I'm I'm I'll be curious when you when you move forward in this section. What's the definitions? Like what makes it a spiritual? And are there different types of spirituals? Are there subcategories within that? I feel like maybe this is a broader category than I realized going into the conversation because once I started seeing all the different things I was like oh I don't know if I would have necessarily thought of that and so what makes a spiritual a spiritual I'm curious about that I will talk about some of that yes okay so I wanted to be a purist here because <laughs> for me what makes a spiritual a spiritual is that it's you know a folk song religious in nature coming out of the time when black people were enslaved and therefore any song that has an author listed probably isn't in this category so i i was like okay i love this song and i looked it up and i was like nope that doesn't that doesn't fit so but i'm gonna mention them all because i love these songs go for it so someone on our facebook page had mentioned i'll fly away which i love mm. this is a song i sing washing dishes all the time but it was written by albert e brumley who i also love but he's a white guy and published in 1929 so that one wouldn't necessarily fit our category mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. i love it anyway so i'm mentioning it mm -hmm. uh my second thought was oh precious lord take my hand this one is in our hymnal mm -hmm. i love this song so much but it was written by Reverend Thomas A. Dorsey, who's a Black pastor. But again, we've got an author, so it's not that that pure folk song. Uh -huh. um, that one was written in 1938 and mm -hmm. was apparently one of Martin Luther King Jr.'s favorite songs um, nice. and got sung at a lot of civil rights rallies. So this one was a strong contender. But again, gospel song, not a spiritual, not at least according to the definition I was working with. Mm -hmm. 
last choice uh, was soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Love that ah, one. yep. Yeah, only it was written by Andre Crouch in 1976. <laughs> He's still alive, I'm pretty sure. So. <laughs> you got to broaden your horizons. I think that's the problem. Well, I finally went broad enough, and yeah. I have decided on the spiritual hymn that I'm going to put forward today, and that is the wonderful song, I Shall Not Be Moved. Ah, mm. uh, yep. True spiritual. Also was sort of revamped a little bit into We Shall Not Be Moved, which was a civil rights movement anthem based on the the original hymn is based on Jeremiah 17, but especially Psalm 1, because the lyrics go, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. Just like a tree that's planted by the living water, I shall not be moved. And like many true folk songs, the verses change based on the scenario that you're in. When I looked up this this song on Hymnary, I was surprised to really not recognize any of the original verses as the ones that I had learned growing up, but they're very good. When my cross is heavy, I shall not be moved. The church of God is marching, I shall not be moved. Jesus is our captain, I shall not be moved. Fighting sin and Satan, I shall not be moved. Mm. Um, one of the verses that I learned growing up was, Jesus is my savior, I shall not be moved. In his love and favor, I shall not be moved. Mm. Another verse was, glory, hallelujah, I shall not be moved. Anchored in Jehovah, I shall not be moved. And this this song, just the refrain, really digs its way into the soil of your soul and says, no matter what, this is where I am. This is who I am. I shall not be moved because Christ has got me. <laughs> this is where I'm staying. Like a tree planted by the living water, I shall not be moved. So there we go. There's my actual, true, spiritual favorite. There you go, Sarah. Yeah, and you guys brought up some good points that there seems to be a broad category of what we think of as spirituals that, that does encompass all of these African-American and maybe even white spirituals. Uh, yeah, I mean, from- I'll, I'll Fly Away is a follows a spiritual style, but it, right. it was definitely coming out of more of a white faith community. Yeah, yeah. From from like the late 17th century to what, 1970s, 1980s. So obviously some of these are not actual songs sung by enslaved people. And that I think is the more narrow definition of an African-American spiritual is something that actually comes out of the South during the 1800s. So there is this kind of broad range. And there is an actual category of white spirituals, which I didn't, I don't think I knew that until I was doing some research on this. It's a much smaller category, not quite as well known. We don't really talk about it that much, but it does exist. And, and also there's the, I mean, just we can we can draw a line between spirituals and gospel songs, which is yeah. what a lot of these have ended up being. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the line between those, especially if you're talking the broad the broad range of spirituals from the mid mid ish uh, 1900s, the the line gets a little fuzzy. And right. I'll talk about this a little bit more. But spirituals have have kind of just grown into this this huge genre of American music. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So my. <laughs> My list of favorites is very long, as is kind of, <laughs> of how it course. goes for all of these episodes. It's very on-brand Sarah Golson. <laughs> it's true. 
I was researching them and I was looking through the list of favorites from everyone else. And I was like, oh, I like that one. Oh, that one's on my favorites list too. Oh, I like, oh, I sang that one in high school. Oh, that one's from college. So Kid my- in a candy shop. Basically. It's true. Yeah. it's true. I just, I love this style of music. And I think I was watching this concert, which I will definitely post a link. There's a concert from the Library of Congress of Baltimore City College High School and Howard University, an hour long at the Library of Congress singing spirituals. I teared up several times because of just the weight of what these songs mean. And I love it. So I will post that link. You guys should all go watch it. It's fantastic. I was listening to this as I was typing. So top of my list, Ezekiel Saw the Wheel. That one's also by William Dawson. (laughs) So whether or not it's actually in the category, yeah. Go Down Moses is possibly one of the most important spirituals of all of them because of its historical significance of what it meant for enslaved people as they were looking to escape for freedom. This is one of the most important spirituals of all of them. Joshua fit the Battle of Jericho. Hark, I hear the harps eternal. I love that one, especially as a soprano. It has like an amazing soprano line. Elijah Rock, which has an awesome bass line. I sang that one in high school. Mm. My Lord, when I'm morning, we actually sing this in my church. Uh, Yeah, with our church choir. And it's, I love it. Witness, I'll be a witness for my Lord. Ain't that good news? Shut the door, which is actually like from 1980 something, which I didn't realize until I just looked it up. Um, (laughs) Ride on King Jesus, wade in the water, which is another very important one about uh, getting to freedom. Soon it will be done is also on my list too, because it's a classic. What about, oh, give me Jesus. Love that one. Mm. Oh, freedom. Love uh-huh. that one. You just once you yeah, once you start, you can't stop. No. I have another long list. So I did ask in the Facebook group <laughs> of people's favorites, and the list is super long, and everybody has a different one that that they relate to or they love or that they've heard. So this is also a long list. Every time I feel the spirit, steal away, which is a, a very common one. Mm. Give me Jesus, go tell it on the mountain, uh, down oh, to yeah. the river to pray. Sometimes I feel like a motherless child, which is, that's a sad one about the horrible conditions of living in slavery. I'll Fly Away is on the list. Uh, Swing Low Sweet Chariot, My Soul's Been Anchored in the Lord. Mary Had a Baby showed up several times. People sing that one at Christmas. Didn't My Lord Deliver Daniel, Walk Together Children, which is one I haven't heard. Sweet Little Jesus Boy, It Is Well With My Soul. Hmm. God Is Already Here. Were You There? There's yours, Aaron. Go tell it on the mountain, which is a very popular one around Christmas time. <laughs> Ain't got time to die. Marching in the light of God. Uh, there is a balm in Gilead. Showed up several times too. That's a favorite. That's a, that's a good one. Just a closer walk with thee. Somebody's knocking at your door. Good news, the chariot's coming. Ride the chariot. I am not home yet. Deep river. That's another. That's another good one. Keep your lamps trimmed and burning. I know we sang that one in college or in choir at some point. And I shall not be moved. So that's just the list from the Ladies Lounge. And there are more. This is a huge category of music, especially if you take all of this, all of the time period uh, of this broader category. There are so many songs in this category. But you're right. There's a lot of blurry boundaries. You know, Marching in the Light Mm -hmm. of God, if that's the one I'm thinking of, that's a South African protest song. Mm -hmm. Like not even yeah. American, not even U.S. based, but yeah. such a good song. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting how this connection between these songs of of enslaved people who are singing for wanting to be free, how they've 
matured, I guess, into these songs of civil rights movements Mm -hmm. of the last century, not only here, but also in other places around the world. They have this this use that that sadly comes back um, and people keep singing them uh, yearning for this this freedom and equality. Well, and there is something I, I think we need to issue a caveat here because so far we've just been all spiritual, spiritual, spiritual. These are so awesome. Yay, go sing them. But there is a reason why, you know, we don't see more of these songs popping up in our hymnals. And that is because some of them um, don't always jive with Lutheran theology. Mm-hmm. You've got some, you know, prosperity gospel, some liberation theology, some other other sorts of streams of intellectual thought going through them that isn't always a perfect fit. But as with so many other hymn categories, as Lutherans, we are discerning, Mm -hmm. but we welcome, you know, we test, we sift, we say, oh, whoa, that's really good. Like that may not have come out of, you know, a German Lutheran hymn writer or Norwegian Lutheran or whoever, you know, (laughs) a Lutheran hymn writer's pen, but that is full of good stuff that we can embrace wholeheartedly. And so I think we, while being discerning, we can also sing a lot of these songs that are just Christian songs. Mm-hmm. Yes. And a, and a lot of them, uh, the more religious ones probably come more out of a Methodist background since that mm-hmm. was a very popular religion at that point, especially for Africans, uh, that would have been a, a very popular religion. And that's what a lot of these came out of. And I was going to mention this later, but since we're talking about it now, sorry, no, it's fine. <laughs> the gun here. Since we're talking about it now, the first hymnal for African American churches was actually published in 1801 by Richard Allen, who was the founding bishop of the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Um, and I, if I I'm remembering right, if I'm remembering right, this is also the the church body that Rosa Young, Rosa J. Young, was associated with in oh, Alabama. Yeah. I mean, this would have been what a hundred and some hundred yeah. some years later. But it's that that church body uh, was which was she left to become a Lutheran because she felt that you know Lutheran theology was more in line with yeah. with scripture. So, <laughs> but there's there's their connection with with Rosa Young too. So yeah. this hymnal was called A Collection of Spiritual Songs and Hymns Selected from Various Authors by Richard Allen, African Minister. It had 54 hymn texts, no tunes, and they were mostly from Isaac Watts, Charles Wesley, and John Wesley and other hymn writers that that Methodists tended to uh, gravitate toward. So that's that's where a lot of the theology from a lot of these things comes from is is from a more Methodist background. But that doesn't mean that they're all bad. No, I mean in our in our own hymnal we have quite a few hymns that are attributed to a Wesley and Isaac. But Watt. they've been yeah. they've been sifted. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. So this hymnal also had wandering refrains where a short chorus would be attached to an actual hymn stanza at random. And this form of improvisation also connects these hymns to spirituals. And the hymns would have been sung by free blacks in Allen's congregation in Philadelphia, whereas spirituals were sung by enslaved blacks in the South. But there is this mm-hmm. connection between these these structured, well, more structured hymns that still had improvisation and the spirituals that were kind of the, the brother in the South. There's something so beautiful about, you mentioned the refrain. There's something so beautiful about the fact that these songs pack a lot into a very simple melody and a mm-hmm. simple lyric so yeah. that it is accessible even for people who are not literate. Exactly. Which is why I think children 
especially gravitate toward these songs because they're very inclusive in that way that you don't have to have a high school diploma to be able to make sense of the of the words that accept them at face value and yeah remember them yeah so spirituals do have a huge place in our american music culture Back in the 1800s, uh, late 1700s, 1800s, some Christians did try to justify slavery using the Bible. I'm sure we've all heard of Ugh. these horrendous things that these, Insert can I say, quote, noise here. Christians would do. But in spite of that, the majority of African Americans still held Christian beliefs. I actually got to see this, the slave, what they call the slave Bible at the Museum of the Bible a couple of years ago. And the justifications that people were trying to make using biblical passages, I I've, it makes you feel physically sick that people would use God's word to justify something so horrible mm-hmm. and something so oppressive to our fellow human beings. If you ever have a chance to, I'm not sure if that exhibit is still there at the Museum of the Bible, but it, it is a very impactful exhibit to actually read through and walk through these things that people were living through in the 17 and 1800s. So there were three main musical forms used by enslaved people. And this, Erin, gets to a little bit of your point of what a Mm -hmm. spiritual actually is. So there were field hollers, work songs, and spirituals. Mm -hmm. So slaves weren't allowed to talk while they were working in the fields, but they were allowed to sing. So they came up with this singing communication that was unintelligible to their master. So that's what these field hollers would be. Work songs helped with the monotony of labor in the field. Sometimes they were used for synchronizing movements. I'm sure we've all heard the the songs that, that sound very much like they're synchronizing a movement. Other times they were just for entertainment. And some of the, the texts for these work songs are actually really amusing. Mm-hmm. Spirituals are the religious form of work songs. So they were sung in the informal and quite possibly secret prayer meetings. Uh, Most slaves couldn't read. They were kept illiterate. So the spirituals helped to teach them Bible stories. The spirituals sung in these meetings combined hymns, Bible stories, portions of sermons and prayers, and an African music style. These were embellished and improvisation was encouraged which makes them really fun, and repetitive refrains were added. So spirituals probably originated in the late 1700s and were widespread by the time of emancipation. And now African-American spirituals are one of the largest and most significant forms of American folk songs. Hmm. The name spiritual comes from Ephesians 5.19, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So many originate from African outdoor meetings or quote unquote ring shouts, which you should totally look up ring shouts on YouTube and watch some of these. They're really cool to watch uh, because it's it's not just an audio thing. It's also visually seeing what they're doing is really cool where singers would shuffle in a circle singing and clapping. And music is and was part of everyday life in African culture. But of course, white slave owners thought that this way of singing and worshiping was idolatrous. They just couldn't understand it. And most American exposure to African music was through minstrel shows. And those made fun of this style of music because it wasn't Brie is physically cringing right now. (laughs) (laughs) You said minstrel show and her face just went... Yeah. So not a great platform for um, for European Americans to understand uh, this other style of music that wasn't their own. 
So many white slave owners banned public worship and slaves were forced to worship in secret. This wasn't across the board, but very common that they weren't allowed to worship publicly. So music and life and hope still had a way of thriving in these terrible conditions, and enslaved African Americans created so much music in these prayer meetings. This this joy in their faith that comes out through so many of them is really, really incredible. So many of these spirituals take up stories that parallel stories of life as an enslaved person, like Daniel and Moses. Uh, these figures show up in a lot of these stories because it would have been so relatable to the life situations that they themselves were living through and dealing with. Many of these songs have double meanings of spiritual freedom in Christ and also physical freedom from slavery. They're typically call and response uh, with a free form style. Many are sorrowful and slow. Some describe struggles of life as a slave, like sometimes I feel like a motherless child, and others are joyful. They're known as jubilees, and they're really fast and syncopated. And those are the, those are the fun ones high schoolers probably like to sing. <laughs> <laughs> Many of these also had coded meetings and were used as protest songs. And I remember learning about this at some point, but going back and reading through this again, it's it's just really cool how music was used as this tool for freedom. So the most common spiritual used as a code to escape for freedom is Go Down Moses, which Harriet Tubman actually used to identify herself to slaves who wanted to flee north. And the Underground Railroad used railroad terminology as secret language to help slaves escape. So there are several spirituals that also use this railroad language as this secret coded message so that slaves would know what they were talking about and to help others gain freedom in the North. Get so on some board, of- little children. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> some of these other coded meetings are um, anytime that traveling shoes or chariots, chariots show up a whole lot, or yeah. wheels, that means that someone was planning to run or that, that there was going to be an escape. Um, the Jordan River generally was the Ohio River that they would need to cross yeah. to get mm-hmm. to freedom. Bands of angels were the conductors on the Underground Railroad that were coming to help them. The devil, generally the slave master. Hell was being sold further south into slavery. And stealing away generally meant stealing away to freedom. It's kind of amazing to me that slave owners didn't understand. And maybe they maybe they did and didn't care or they did and went to find the, their slaves that had escaped, but didn't understand what was happening or the, these codes that, that these African-Americans had, had built into their songs. I'm sure there's many reasons for that. Maybe they thought that the slaves weren't smart enough to figure out these coded meanings because so many of them were kept illiterate, but they were smart enough and they did escape to freedom and they used music as their cues and the Underground Railroad as their way of escaping to freedom. Stories of resistance to evil are some of my favorites to, mm. to read and share. I know this came up the last time I had a podcast too, um, but this story of resistance to this, to this evil of slavery is very empowering. So these spirituals actually began to be recorded on paper in the 1860s. The Slave Songs of the United States is a book that's been reprinted over and over and over to keep these spiritual songs alive. It was originally published in 1867 by three northern abolitionists, and they managed to collect these songs from the South during the 1860s after emancipation, which could not have been a very easy task at this point. 
At this time, interest spread in performance of these spirituals. The Jubilee Singers were formed in the 1870s at Fisk University in Nashville, which is before James Weldon Johnson would be there several decades later. And they actually toured the U.S. and Europe at the turn of the century. They did face some opposition from people saying basically, uh, too soon. But the Jubilee Singers convinced them that this was important and an important cultural and, and historical thing to keep alive, uh, to celebrate this freedom. So many choirs started copying the Jubilee Singers all across the country and started a long tradition of singing spirituals in concert halls. And so even recent singers like Kathleen Battle and Jesse Norman have included spirituals in their concerts. And those are two powerful voices to be singing spirituals. I love Kathleen Battle. I think I, ha I have so many of her CDs in my CD library. She is wonderful. And I mentioned this before, spirituals have played a role in the civil rights movement in the 50s and 60s because these are songs for freedom, trying to break free of things that are oppressing. So these spirituals from enslaved African Americans have evolved into blues at the turn of the century and then have informed and influenced nearly every form of American music in the 20th century, from jazz to rock and roll to hip hop. It's really incredible the influence that this style of music has had on our popular music today. What's even more incredible is the life and the hope that these songs have preserved and that even out of this horror of slavery, we share in the hope of Christ and freedom from this world when Jesus returns one day. And that is the brief history of spirituals. That's a that was a good one. Very impressive. Hopefully we can come back and actually like dig into a couple of these because I mean we didn't get into like any of the texts or anything, but when you told us the topic for this, I was like, oh shoot, three hour episode right there. But no, <laughs> brava. You covered yeah, a lot of ground in not a whole lot of time. And there's so there is so much more. I mean, there's 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 so much history of of different there's different styles from different parts of the South. There's cultural things in like Georgia that are different from cultural things in other parts mm. of the South because of the different places in Africa where where people emigrated from. Mm -hmm. There's there's different there's just there's so much there. So much. That is wonderful. Thank you. I feel like I have a much well, I don't know that I feel like I have a stronger definition, but I have a better grasp of the scope that's in included in this and that helps. That helps focus the conversation at least a little bit, and I can then I can I can blame it on the fact I'm like oh it's it's such a such a broad broad topic. It's, it's <laughs> really an expert on this sort of thing. I mean, it spans hundreds of years to to have just one thing that's a favorite. Wow. <laughs> when Black History Month rolls around every year, I am I'm always faced with the African-American's contribution to music in American society. And I am just so astounded and so appreciative. That is one of the biggest ways that we've been blessed by that community is through music and it's in, and it's influence on everything else in American society. I'm just, it's wonderful. And one of the ways that that influence was kicked off is because these people in slavery 
showed their resilience and tried to find ways to escape and live free lives has influenced sort of what this has become. One of my favorite poems of all time is by a Welsh poet, Dylan Thomas, called Fern Hill. And the last line stays with me all the time. He says, time held me green and dying, though I sang in my chains like the sea. And I thought of that line again today as we were talking about Black American spirituals. And it ties into our Christian life as well, that we are all of us born slaves to sin and death. And yet because of Jesus, because we have the promise of everlasting freedom, we can sing in our chains like the sea. And I look back to this awful period in American history where one group of people was enslaved. And I thank God for their witness, showing us all how to sing in our chains. You and said that way better than I did. Thank you. <laughs> I pray that we can, we can always strive to live up to this example of faith and hope. Well, ladies, we'd love, well, we already know most of your favorite spirituals. We'll share some of these uh, spiritual YouTube videos as well. There's some really great ones that I was uh, diving deep into the rabbit holes as I was researching this episode. You can join our group on Facebook, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge, and you can find all of our podcasts at kfuo.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on your favorite podcasting app. You're listening to Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah. I'm Erin. I'm Bree. And I shall not be moved. Yes. Yeah. Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Join our community on Facebook in the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. Sorry. That's okay. We can cut this part out. Okay. <laughs> when was it written? Podcasting. Man, I'm so hungry. <laughs> this Wikipedia page is rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>